Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world that was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also they were destined for. But you are a chosen one, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have to unexpectedly become a princess and be taken out of your everyday life, to be given a new identity that changes everything. Well, I've never wondered what it would be like to become a princess, but that's what happens to Mia, a character in the movie The Princess Diaries from almost 20 years ago. Mia is a normal teenager that finds out she's actually the next in line for a European throne. 
She's given a new, wonderful identity as a princess. And this new identity plucks her out of her old life. And she has to learn all the social etiquette, all the activities of her new identity. But Mary's faced with a choice. Does she give up her old life for her new identity? Or does she give up her new identity for her old life? Believe it or not, I think there's something similar in the way we become and live as Christians. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're given the new identity of God's people. We're plucked out of our old lives, and as God's people, we are to live differently. But like Mia, we have to decide whether our new identity will change how we live. As a believer in Jesus, will you live out your identity? This is one of the issues Peter is writing about in his letter. He's writing to a group of people who have been born again to a living hope through Jesus in order to live in hope for Jesus' return, as we saw last week. As Christians, they are to live between these two events, Jesus' pain for sin on the cross and Jesus' glorious return. It's because of this time frame that Peter calls his readers foreigners and exiles. They don't belong. That their home is with God after Jesus' return. And he writes this letter to instruct them how to live in this new identity in a hostile world. We see this in chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent In the verses that follow our passage today, we'll see how God has made us his people through a costly redemption, an imperishable rebirth, and therefore we are to honour him. And we'll see five ways in which to do that as God's people temporarily here on earth, we are to live as God's people. We've been given this new wonderful identity as his people. This new identity plucks us out of our lives, and we are to live according to our new identity. Firstly, Peter explains how we were given this new identity. In verses 18 to 25, he gives us two angles to see how this happened. A costly redemption and an imperishable rebirth. In verses 18 to 21, we read how God redeemed us, bought us out of empty lives, by Jesus' precious blood. Let's read verses 18 to 19 together. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter says that his readers were living in an empty way of life, and this lifestyle was something handed down to them by their parents and their grandparents. He's talking about a life ruled by sin. And this life ruled by sin is something we all know and we all experience. Because of the way it's been passed down through humanity since the first humans. As humans were enslaved by sin. But this redemption that Peter is talking about is the act of buying someone out of 
slavery, often with the silver or gold mentioned here. But humanity's life with sin as its master can't be bought with money. The cost is too great. To pay for the sin of all people and all their sin, that's a humongous we read in the Old Testament of the ways God gave to his people of making payment, of atoning for their sin. Peter alludes to this here with the picture of a lamb without blemish or defect. In times gone past, God accepted pure sacrifices like this as atonement for sin. But it was never enough. As humanity continued to sin, the need for sacrifices continued. It became a destructive cycle. And that's why, if you read in verses 20 to 21, God chose his son, revealed him as a human in Jesus, and sacrificed him to atone for our sin, to break the cycle of sacrifices, and buy us out of a life ruled by sin. And Jesus was able to do this because he was sinless, like the pure lambs you Sacrificing his son cost God dearly. I don't have a child, so I can only imagine what that might have been like. We might all know what it's like to lose someone we love. And this can help us understand even just a little bit of what it cost God to redeem us with the death of his son. We've been made into God's people through a costly now Peter changes the camera angle and looks at how we've been made God's people in a different way. In verses 22 to 25, we read that by believing the good news about Jesus that was told to us, we have been born again through God's word. We see it most clearly in verse 23. Let's read that together. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word. As humans, we were all born the normal way, but as Christians, we're reborn, made new in God's word. The verses around verse 23 help flesh that out. Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah in verses 24 to 25 to contrast the withering and falling nature of flesh with the enduring eternal nature of God's word. He then claims that the word that was preached to his readers, that is the good news about Jesus' costly redemption, is God's word. The same sort of word that Isaiah talked about. So the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is God's enduring eternal word. And we've been born again by obeying that truth in verse 22. That is, believing enduring good news about what Jesus has done. The fact that this rebirth will endure, will last, will not perish, is something for us to be immensely thankful for. Just being normally born as human means we'll go the way of all humans, through ageing, through death, and through being forgotten. Our world believes that your identity will change as you stop when you die and will fade away afterward. 
So people are obsessed with trying to fix the withering nature of our flesh, trying to delay death, trying to secure a legacy after death. But as God's people, we are not to be consumed with any of that anymore. Being born again through God's eternal word means we have a new identity as God's people, a new identity that doesn't age, a new identity that doesn't stop, and a new identity that So these two things, the redemption and the rebirth, are like seeing the same thing from different angles. Both are about our salvation. The Apostle Peter often talks about the same thing in different ways. One helpful way of seeing both the redemption and the rebirth is to think of being redeemed from sin and being reborn into the life of God's Word. We've been redeemed from an old, empty way of life, and being reborn into a new eternal way of life. So far we've seen that through a costly redemption, an imperishable rebirth, God has made us into his people. But what does it actually mean to be God's people? Peter explains this a bit more in chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Verse 9 in particular gives us a list of titles that now belong to us as God's people. Let's read verse 9 together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Like before, Peter is alluding to rich Old Testament imagery with these descriptions. But let's focus on two aspects. God's people are set apart. And God's people are to honour God. That God's people are set apart is seen in all four of these titles. A chosen people or a holy nation means that other people, other nations, are not chosen. Royal bestows a higher status than the king or queen's subjects beneath them. And priests are special mediators to their congregants. And in owning everything as creator... God says his people are his special possessions. This set-apartness of God's people means that, in a way, they are exclusive. In verses 7 to 8 we read that there are people who do not believe, who have rejected Jesus, who disobey the message, the enduring good news of Jesus. This doesn't mean we as God's people are that God has made his people exclusive because only through faith can someone become part of God's people. It means that God doesn't add people haphazardly. He has a purpose for it. And it's a very narrow door that they enter. It doesn't mean we are to act exclusively. It means that God has made his people exclusive. Because there's only one way to be Not everybody will be part of God's people because, by definition, God's people are set apart. Another aspect of what it means to be God's people is that we are to honour God. Throughout verses 4 to 6, Peter mixes the metaphors of spiritual house 
much to untangle the metaphors because it all centers around Jesus and the way we are to honor him as God's people. Peter refers to Jesus here as the rejected cornerstone, meaning that he is the most important stone in the building of God's people. Those that believe in him, verse 4, are like living stones themselves, that verse 5 are built on Jesus' foundation to be a spiritual house, which is just a fancy way of saying temple. The temple in the Old Testament was often referred to as God's house, where God in his spirit lived. And the priests did things in the temple to honour God on behalf of all the people. So Peter is painting this picture of God's people as both the stones in God's house and the workers in God's house. It doesn't work literally, does it? can't be both at the same time, literally. The big point is that all of God's people now talk to God like only the priests once did. We can pray to our Heavenly Father. But also all of God's people now have God dwelling inside us, like only the temple once did. God's Holy Spirit now dwells within us. All of God's people now talk to God like only the priests once did. And all of God's people now have God's spirit dwelling within us, like only the temple once did. We live in, and these are real honours, being able to talk to God in prayer is a privilege, as is his spirit being with us all the time. We live in a world where privilege, associated with ethnicity and class, is often seen as elitist and wrong. But I think these spiritual privileges ones to enjoy and uphold and boast in. Prayer with God and his presence within us are privileges graciously given to us as his people. So as God's people we are set apart because of his presence in us and the ability we've been given to pray to him. And as we are different from others we are to honour God in who we are and how we act. There are five ways I think passage in which Peter encourages us to honour God as his people, as those who have been redeemed at a cost and reborn of God's imperishable work. Some are practical things, some are more whole of life things. And the five ways are reflecting God's character, craving God's word, loving God's people, declaring God's praises, and being rejected like his son. Firstly, God's people we are to reflect his character. In chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we read, But just as he, God, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Just as God's people Israel were to reflect God's character of holiness, we as God's people in Christ are to show who God is in who we are and how we act. We are to try and copy what God is like in everything we do. Peter gives a reason for this in chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In honouring God in front of others, we reflect who God is in the hope that unbelievers will believe and obey. We are to live in this world with integrity, working honourably, treating people respectfully, looking after our world carefully. 
resources transparently. But that's a tall order, isn't it? As we saw before with the kids, we're not always kind to each other, are we? As a result of our sinful nature, we will unfortunately be dishonourable, be disrespectful, be careless, be deceitful. And too often our world sees God's people just like that. And if we deny or misdirect or minimise our sinful behaviour or strike back at others, we solidify the opinion that Christians are hypocrites. Yet in the aftermath of sin, we can reflect God's character of mercy. We can be a people that accept our wrongdoing, say sorry for what we've done, and ask for forgiveness. We're a people who no longer need to be burdened by guilt and shame because of Jesus' costly redemption. And if we are humble and repentant, we reflect what God has done for us in Jesus. As God's people, we are to reflect his character. As God's people, we are to crave his word. Peter likens us to newborn babies in chapter 2, verse 2, instructing us to crave pure spiritual milk so that we may grow up in our salvation. But what does he mean by spiritual milk? The Greek word translated here as spiritual literally means of the word. I think Peter is using the metaphor of milk here to talk about God's word in the Bible. Because he was just talking about God's word two verses before. And in other places in the New Testament, it talks about how we grow through God's word. So just as human babies long for their mother's milk, we as Christians are to long for our father's I remember a time when I was holding a baby and I was just waking up and its little hand started reaching for my chest and its lips started to purse like this. And I didn't know what the baby was doing until it tried to move its mouth towards my chest and I realised it was trying to breastfeed from me. I felt really embarrassed at the time. But I've since connected the baby's instinct to what Peter is talking about here. That just as human babies long for their mother's milk, we as Christians are to long for our father's word. Do you crave God's word with an instinct like a baby craves for its mother's milk? Take some time to reflect on this. In the aspects of life that you're growing in, where do you look to for guidance and strength? If you're learning to express your anger appropriately, for example, are you looking at just the punching bag or the comfort of God's word in the Bible? If you're learning to think before you speak, are you drawing motivation from God's word or just the guide in the magazine? It's the word of God that will help us grow in these things. As God's people, we are to crave. Number three, as God's people, we are to love his people. The command is there in chapter 1, verse 22. Love one another deeply from the heart. And we see almost the reverse command in chapter 2, verse 1. To rid yourselves of the things that will stop us loving each other. Like malice, the desire to harm. Or deceit, deliberately. 
hypocrisy, doing one thing and telling others off for doing the same thing. Envy, thinking of others jealously. And slander, speaking without love. Looking at that list of things to get rid of, which one do you think is like you? Which one do you need to ask God's help with to turn it around into thinking lovingly, acting lovingly, speaking lovingly? To love one another is the goal, and that involves both getting rid of unlovely attitudes and acts and continuing to learn how to love. For Peter's encouragement here is echoing the words of his Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, where Jesus says, By this, that is, loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Our identity as God's people will shine forth, and when we love one another. As God's people, we are to love his people. As God's people, we are to declare his praises. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, i.e. the purpose of which is, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So declaring his praises is communicating how great God is by our thoughts, our words, our actions. It includes appreciating God's world, valuing people made in his image, showcasing his transformative work in our lives, singing his praises, praying to him. But I think most importantly, speaking the eternal word of Jesus' good news. Because it was that word that was preached to us, for us to believe. Because it was that story that made us God's people. And because bringing people out of darkness into light are God's greater that's why speaking the gospel is of higher priority. How are you going with declaring God's praises? Do the people in your life know that you're a Christian? Are you finding ways to talk about your faith life in everyday conversation? Not just recounting your Sunday morning activity of going to church, but how being a follower of Jesus means you've made different lifestyle choices. Not just telling your co-worker that you're attending Bible study later that evening, but how being part of God's people means that you give money to people who work for God. I think it takes real courage and practice to do this well. But to speak our faith is part of who we are. As God's people, we are to declare His praises. And finally, as God's people, we are to, we are going to be rejected like His Son. We've been given an identity that makes us different to other people. We've been redeemed from earthly ways into an imperishable rebirth. So we don't belong in this world. It should come as no surprise to us that people who are left out, people who are different and who don't belong, are often ridiculed and rejected. And because we've believed in Jesus, we've become part of his team. And Jesus wasn't just rejected by his own people. Through sin, he was rejected by all humanity. And if we're part of Jesus' team, part of God's people, we will be rejected too. Peter doesn't really talk about persecution in this passage, but it's kind of there in the background, I think. 
He's emphasizing how great our new identity is to put that persecution into perspective, not minimizing the hurt and pain of what it's like to be rejected. This passage emphasizes the goodness of being part of God's people, that we've been redeemed at great cost, that we've been reborn in God's eternal word, that we've been given a wonderful identity as God's people. And by feeling secure in that identity, we won't have to succumb to the things of this hostile world. As God's people, we're going to be rejected like his son. We heard about Mia before, whose life turns upside down when she's given the title of princess in the movie The Princess Diaries. I'm going to tell you a bit about how the movie ends, so spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but you have had almost 20 years. As Mia grows into her identity, she is insulted by her peers. She is preyed on by paparazzi and publicly shamed all because of her new identity. As she comes to make her choice about whether to keep her new identity, all of that ridicule and hurt doesn't stop her from officially accepting her new identity. She gives up her old life to take on her new identity, regardless of the things the world throws at her. We have a much greater identity than that of European princess, though. We are God's people, set apart to honour him. And we have a much greater role model than that of Mia. We have our Lord Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has paid the costly price of our redemption. He is the living, eternal word that we are reborn in. He is our king that we are set apart for, and our God that we serve as priests. The writer to the Hebrews encourages us to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. As God's people, let's continue to reflect his character and crave his word and love his people his praises and be rejected like his son. Will you live out your identity as part of God's people despite living in this hostile world? Tracy's going to lead us in prayer.
Psalm uh, for this morning is Cornerstone. 